Right, well, the passage today, John chapter 5, verses 16 to 30, um, basically what this passage does, it talks about different attributes of Jesus and different things that he does and different things that he's called to do. And basically what I want to do today is to go through that, I just divide the passage up and to go through it and then at the end, and we're only talking about some attributes or some parts of Jesus' ministry, but at the end of it what I want to do is, is consider what this passage means to three groups of people. So in the first group is a person who is a person who is an unbeliever or a person who has not yet uh, reached the decision to trust and obey Jesus. Secondly, I want to look at the, a Christian who is being challenged and at, at times that includes every believer. So that could cover everyone um, at any particular time. And then finally, I wanted to consider the situation of a mature believer, how they might react to this passage. So we're going to work our way through, then we're going to consider it from the point of view of three categories um, of people. The unbeliever, the challenged, the, the unbeliever, the challenged believer, and the mature believer. Right. So let's begin by looking at verses 16 to 18, and I call this section "Jesus claims equality with God the Father." So Jesus says, "I am God. I am fully God, not just part God. I am fully God, but also fully man." So let's just work our way through that, and then we'll go from there. So. Look at verse 16, it says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, now the things that he was doing, this is the section uh, from John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. If you remember the story where Jesus went to the pool uh, in Jerusalem and, and, he, and he, there was a man there paralysed and he healed him. But Jesus happened to heal him on the Sabbath and the Sabbath there was from Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. This is a particular time. Now it says, because, now, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish believers began to persecute him. So what was it that Jesus did? Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders got really uptight. In fact, more than uptight, they sort of wanted to kill him. So the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Why? Well, if you go back to the Old Testament in, the, in Exodus, where the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment says... You're not allowed to do any work on the Sabbath. But of course that meant normal work, like going out, if you're a carpenter, it means going out being a carpenter. It didn't mean healing someone. But what the Jews had done is they'd extended the meaning of work. It shows, it, it, it's a real early indication of the degree of corruption of the Jewish leaders of the time. Right. So he says, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father, now by saying my father, he's saying it in the sense of he, that, that he is the same as his father, they're in the same family, there is an intimate relationship. Jesus is there claiming deity or claiming to be divine or claiming to be God himself. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day. The funny thing was, is that, is that the Jews said it was okay for God the Father to work on the Sabbath. Why? Because if God the Father wasn't working on the Sabbath, 
Who's going to look after the universe on that day? It's all going to fall apart. So they said, look, we'll compromise here. It's okay for God to be working on that day. But then for someone else to be working on that day, and here, here it comes, it says, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working on the Sabbath. So what's that? That's another claim by Jesus to claim that he is also divine because I'm working on the same day just like God is working. Verse 18, for this reason they, that's the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, now he wasn't in fact breaking the Sabbath, but he was breaking the Sabbath according to their rules or the additional rules. There's a whole range of rules that they'd introduced themselves which were not uh, from the scripture. Um, for this, re- Not only was he breaking the Sabbath as far as their rules were concerned, but he was even calling God himself his own father, making himself equal to God. So that's even worse. So working on the Sabbath is bad enough, but then to claim his God, that is, that is a much, much worse. This was why they wanted to kill him. But we can see what a terrible corruption that is. Right, that's the first section. Now the second section is verses 19 to 20, and this talks about an intimate, dependent, father-son relationship that Jesus has with God the Father. An intimate, dependent, father-son relationship. Brother. So let's look look at that. Verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. So sort of just another sort of response to what they were saying about him. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. So you can see there, there is this intimate, dependent relationship like just like a worldly father and a worldly son. So it's interesting to see that Jesus is equal with, but he's submissive to God. Now a lot of people might um, find difficulty with that, but it's clear in Scripture that Jesus puts himself in the Son position to God the Father. Nevertheless, he is equal with God, being equally divine, but still in that submissive. Now, one sort of illustration, and you don't want to push this illustration too far, if you consider the royal family over in, Buck- in Buckingham Palace, consider the Queen and Prince Charles. Now, they're both royals. Now, unless there's a royal here, I don't think any of us here are royals, and I don't think we're ever going to become a royal. We, it, that would be impossible for us. But, but the Queen and Prince Charles are both part of the royal family. We're not part of the royal family. We never will be. They are separate and distinct for us, but yet within that family, they can both call themselves royals, but one is subordinate to the other. The son is subordinate uh, to the queen. So you don't want to push that example too far, but it, it, it can illustrate in part the relationship between Jesus, the son, and God the father. Right. Verse 20, For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, referring, for example, 
to the healing at the pool where Jesus healed the men who'd been ill for decades, but he was suddenly healed by Jesus. So that, and then he says, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So what is the greatest thing that he showed that, 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 that God enabled to occur? What was it? The resurrection of Jesus, him coming back to life, dying on the cross, coming back to life. That's just one example of a thing that we would be amazed by. Right. Let's look at the third section. This is verses 21 to 26 where we have Jesus as the giver and enabler of eternal life and there's a reference there to him also as judge. So let's work our way through this, beginning at verse 21. And the first section here, Jesus is also making more claims to deity, to being God. Righto. So verse 21, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. For example, Lazarus, you remember the story about Lazarus? Jesus gave him life and brought him back to life, uh, brought him back to sort of a normal physical existence. We're not talking about eternal life here. But then also on the day of judgment, Jesus is the one who decides who is to live eternal life and who is not. So once again, there is um, Jesus makes the decision to whom he is pleased to give it. Verse 22, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. You do find people who draw a distinction between God the Father and God the Son, that Jesus is being less than, less God than God the Father. That is not what Scripture says. Scripture teaches us that Jesus is fully God and fully man. I remember talking to uh, someone on the phone uh, a couple of years ago and we were just talking uh, I was t- explaining, just talking to him about my faith. He's not a believer, this person. But he, but he, 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 he proudly told me that he prays every night before he goes to bed. But he said, look, I, I pray to God, but I'm not too fussed on Jesus. You know, and, and I'm not, assu- not sure how I actually specifically refond, uh, you know, responded to him. But that simply is incorrect. It's incorrect. It's absolutely clear, whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. They are both equally God, although one is subordinate to the other. Right, we must honour both equally. Now, this is, a ver- this is, in many ways, this next verse is very, very important. Verse 24, it's not only profoundly important for this section, but it's profoundly important for the whole foundation of what it means to be a believer and to be a Christian. If you want to know how to become, how to be a Christian, how to become a Christian, it's right here. Let's have a look at it. So can we go to verse 24? This is Jesus speaking. Very truly I tell you, and I'm just going to read it through the verse, then I'll come back in a bit more detail. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, 
has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. There is an enormous amount in that and I, it's most important that it be, that it be dealt with properly. Let's go back to the start. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word. That's the absolute key thing. So what does it mean when it says, hears my word? This is the very, very important thing. And what he's saying is, whoever truly hears my word. You know, um, sometimes when Joan might be out for the day, my wife Joan might be out for the day, and I say, well, how'd you go? And she tells me, and then about a minute, about an hour later, I ask her a question which indicates that I didn't pay any attention to what she said when she answered my question when she first came home. And, of course, I'm not the only husband who's done that either, am I? Um, that can easily happen. So what it means is we can hear, but we don't truly hear. This is saying about people who truly hear what Jesus says. What he's saying is, when he says truly hear, it, it means someone who hears me for who I really am and responds appropriately. That's what he's getting at. Right. If you remember last week I was talking about a belief and I was going to go into more detail. I'm going to do that right now. To truly hear Jesus' words means, I think, I put it under four different headings and I'll just be brief on this. Know, agree, repent and trust. First of all, no, there's an intellectual component to being a Christian. To say you believe in someone or trust someone, well, you've got to know, well, who? You know, what is it about him? The first thing is know who Jesus is. He is both God, fully God, and fully man. What he did, sorry, why he came. Why did Jesus come? The scripture says he came to save sinners. What from? From their default destination. From the moment of our conception. Some people say from the moment of our birth. I say from the moment of our conception, we have what I I call a, a default destination. A default destination is what happens if nothing changes. So if the normal course of events takes place, we go to our destination. Our default destination is eternal separation from God. That is our default destination. Jesus, why did he come? To save sinners from our default destination. What he did, he paid for our sins on the cross so that we might, so that God's perfect standard might be met, so that we have no sins that we have to um, account for. What will he do? So it's, who Jesus is, why he came, what he did, what he will do. What he, what will he do? He will return to judge and reward. That's what I call the no aspect of hearing the words of Jesus. Agree. Says no agree, repent, trust. Agree. Agree means to mentally agree. This is the intellectual part of being a believer. I know these facts. I believe them mentally to be true. The third thing is to repent. Repent's a very important word. What does repent mean? It means to turn from and turn to. So to turn from unbelief in God, unbelief in Jesus, and the lifestyle that goes with it. The lifestyle that goes with it is 
what I want to do. That's what I want. That's what I want. So it's turning from that, turning to belief in, trust in God and the lifestyle that goes with it, which is God's commands and the lifestyle that he wants us to live. So we must make a decision to repent, to turn from that and to turn to turn from unbelief and its fruit to turn to belief and its fruit. And the last part is trust. It's one thing to say, I know the facts, I believe the facts, I have repented, but it's another thing to actually apply it and to actually live it out and to make it real. And that is when we actually trust, we truly trust in him and we rely in him, we rely upon him. That brings impact in our life. Um, there's a wonderful story. You may have heard this, you may have heard this story before. I don't know. But there is a guy called Charles, and I think I've got the name right, Charles Bol- Boland. I think that that's the right name. Anyway, he was a famous French tightrope walker. And he was the first guy to go on a tightrope across the Niagara Falls. And it's interesting, uh, he was an interesting guy. Um, I, I just read some details about him on the computer and I thought, and I looked up, uh, how did he die? And I thought, well, you know what happens to a tightrope walker. You know how he dies, don't you? And I think, well, you're wrong. It isn't. He actually died of diabetes. And I thought, I thought, well, that's amazing, isn't it? You know, he even did things, he even did things historically. He bought, he cooked an omelette in the middle of the tightrope over the Niagara Falls. He's just absolutely amazing. Anyway, the thing is, he went backwards and forwards and one of the things was he got a wheelbarrow and he went across with the wheelbarrow and came back. And, he, and everyone applauded him and said, what a wonderful person he is. And then he said, and so, look, oh, you were just fantastic. And he, he would probably, some of this is maybe a bit of a part of a made-up story, but he, he said to them, look, do you think I'm fantastic? And they said, you're great. Do you think I'll ever fall off? No, you'd never fall off. Right, well, look, hey, you, will you, you hop in, hop, hop in with me. And they said, oh, I'm, there's no way I'm going to do that. But can you see what I'm getting at? If you really, th- th- this is, this is profoundly significant. If we really trust Jesus, you let go and you let him be the boss. You, you truly trust him. You don't just say it, you mean it and you live it. That's, it's easy to say, but trust is, a, is also a growing thing. I've had to go through that in my life. You go through some really difficult experiences in life. And they're, they're wonderful times. Why? Because you work out who you really believe in, who you really trust in. Right. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word, that's so profoundly important, what, what hears my word truly means, who truly hears my word, and believes him who sent me, that's God the Father, has eternal life and, not, and will not be judged. What does it mean? What does it mean here to be judged? It means to go to our default destination. These are, you know, we talk about the most profoundly significant things when we come to church. And, you know, we smile and we laugh with one another and we have a good time, and that's great. But then underlying a Christian is the most, is the utmost seriousness in their approach to life. And if you don't have that, I, I don't think you understand really 
what it means to be a Christian. It is profoundly important to get these things right. Um, and has eternal life and will not be judged or condemned eternally to our default destination. But has crossed over from death to life. So we've crossed from death to life. What, what does it mean? It means we've been born again. How, what a wonderful thing that that is. Very truly, I tell you, verse 25, very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So let me look at that again. He says, very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead. Who's the dead? That's everyone. That's me. That's you. That is every single person who has, who has ever lived, is living or will ever live, with the exception of Jesus, right? Everyone is spiritually dead. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God as we have, trust, trust, hopefully all of us, and those who truly hear, as I've said before, will live. Will live what? As God wants us to live, as he's, as he has designed and created and brought us about to live, trusting and obey, obeying him. Verse 26, For as the Father has life in himself, God has always existed, you know, and always will. Isn't that, that's in, that's impossible, really, isn't it, for our mind to... We, we can sort of understand that mentally, but to fully comprehend that someone has always lived, that's more than our mind can cope with, but it's true. For as the Father has life in himself, he has always lived and always will, so he has granted the Son also to have life to others. A life in himself, what? So that he can give that life to others, which is a wonderful thing. Right. Let's go to the last section which is, this is verses 27 to 30, which is Jesus as judge on judgment day. Righto. Let's start with verse 27. And he, that's God the Father, has given him, that's Jesus, Jesus the Son, or God the Son, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. The Son of Man, that he is not only fully God, but fully man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. He's referring there to judgment day. Those who have done, now this is a, a, a part we need to get right. I'll read it through and then we'll come back. Those who have done what is good will rise to, to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Now, when you read that, you would think that that is saying that we're justified or get right with God by our works rather than by faith, right? But we know that we're saved not by works because we can never meet God's perfect standard. We're not saved by our works. We are saved by our faith, belief, or trust in Jesus. Let's look at that again. Those who have done what is good. What he's referring to there is the fact that when a person, he's referring to the results or the fruit of faith. So if we truly believe our life will be transformed, we will be different people and we will do the good works. If we go back to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, it says we are saved, what for? For works that God has planned for us. 
So that will be evident in our life. So that's what he's, that's what he's saying there. Those who have done what is good as evidence of genuine faith will rise to live, live what? Et- the way God wants us to live now, but ultimately eternally in paradise with him. And those who have done what is evil, or what he's referring to there, is the fruit of unbelief. It's the fruit of unbelief. Those who have done what is evil will right to will rise to be condemned. And you know, it, it's so easy and simple to say these things, but they are profoundly significant, and it is something clearly that we do not want this to be our fate or the of those that we love and, and know. Verse thirty, this is Jesus talking again. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, that is from God the Father, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him, that's God the Father, who sent me. Righto. So what we've done there is we've gone through four headings. The first one, Jesus claims equality with God the Father. Then Jesus has an intimate dependent father-son relationship with God the Father. Jesus as the giver, enabler of eternal life and judge. And then finally, Jesus as judge on judgment day. Right Now, I didn't tell you right at the start what the title of the talk was. I should have said that to you before. But the title of the talk is what this passage means for you. What does it mean for you? Talking about it in terms of three groups of people. So let's think first of all in relation to the unbeliever. Very, very clearly this passage contains two key things. Number one, it contains a warning, or two, the two things are, it contains a warning and an invitation. Very, very clearly. It says that we all, everyone has a choice, a decision to make in this life. If you want to boil life down to its absolute simplest, We are born, we make a key decision, we die, and then we go to a destination which is determined by the decision that we make in life. That is life down to the absolute bare bones. The unbeliever has a decision to make to warn us of the consequences of not hearing Jesus' words, but an invitation if we do and we do respond appropriately then God is gracious and kind and he will never say no, regardless of who you are, what you have done, he will never say no to you. Even if you've been coming to church for 20 or 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years and you suddenly realise, I've never been a believer. And that's happened many times for lots of people. Many times that people say, I have, I've been coming to church for decades and I'm not a believer. God forgives ev- everyone who, or Jesus welcomes everyone who comes to him regardless of what their background is. So there's a warning and invitation for challenged believers. And as I said, this doesn't it apply to us all. There have been times in our life we've had great challenges. We may be experiencing that now or they may yet be to come. We've never, we haven't been um, uh, guaranteed by any way being a believer a simple and easy life. It's just simply, it's, just, it's not reality. We will meet great challenges. 
So what's the, what's this passage say to them, say to you, particularly? I would, I think that what it really says is this, it's an encouragement to persevere. You know, I, 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 I sort of think of it like going through a tunnel. You can get into a tunnel when, when, when it, things are so difficult, when you, you've used everything that you know, and you, you, you don't have an answer to the situation. You've used, you've used all your intellect, all of your training, everything you have simply cannot resolve the issue that you're dealing with. It's like a tunnel and there's no light at the end. The thing is though, and I know this from personal experience and I'm sure that many of you here do, who have gone through very challenging times, you know in whom you have placed your trust. You've placed your trust in the infinite one true God infinite in all his attributes, totally powerful, totally authoritative, totally good. And I know, and many I'm sure many of you do here know, that if you continue on through that tunnel, eventually you'll see the light down the end. If you've put your trust, genuinely put your trust. It's a wonderful thing because it, once again, it really tests who do we really put our trust in? Right. The, finally, we come to the mature believer. Two things, I think. First of all, I just want to go back to what, what verse 28. Verse 28, what does it say? It says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will come out. That means on judgment day, everyone comes out. I like to think for the mature believer, I like to call it not so much judgment day, because there are a lot of connotations with that, but I prefer to call it accountability day. When we are called to account for this incredible gift, is, is, there, is there a gift anywhere in the world that even comes anywhere near the gift of being God's child by being saved, knowing that we are part of his family, and that we are going to spend eternity with him. There just simply is nothing that can possibly compare to that. But, and, and, and he's saying, I have given you this gift. What have you done with it while you've been on this earth in what I call life number one? He will want to know that, and he will reward us according with what we've done. The second part, I think, for the mature believer is that this passage is what I would call gives us a quiet strengthening, a peace and a calmness. We have heard all this before. We are at peace with it. We're not challenging any of it. We're not turning aside from any of it. We embrace everything that's here. We believe it. We know it to be true. We accept it. And we have built our life upon that. And I think that's just a wonderful, strengthening, peaceful, calming thing for us to have done. And a wonderful thing that we have done. If you would like to talk to me after the service today, I'd love to talk to you. If you've got any questions or comments you'd like to make, I'd love to hear them. I don't bite. Um, I'd love to uh, have a talk to you. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Will you tell us all about yourself? 
your Son, and he the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we would live a life in conformity with you and your word. We look forward, Lord, to the time that we spend eternally with you in paradise. In the meantime, Lord, help us to be good followers, true followers of you. In Jesus' name, amen.